A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to Brangaroo Studios. You're watching Ausbiz, of course, and this is the call. 10 stocks, 60 minutes, two experts. We have got a lot to power through today. It's great to have your company on this Thursday. And joining me on the panel today to uh, look at the stocks that you've asked to be reviewed today, buy, sell, or hold. Welcome to James Rosenberg from EL Bayview. James, welcome. Thank you, David. And also Howard Coleman, Director of Team Invest Private. Howard, welcome to uh, Ausbiz and also the call. Thanks very much. Good to be on. Good to have you here, James. Good to have you in the studio after uh, being ensconced in the bunker at home, like, like most people. Howard, I'm not sure if you can see James, but um, he probably looks a bit different. He's sort of gone the full beard as well. So looking very yes. rugged, I've looking been, very bare grills. David, I've been social distancing from the Gillette, so um, <laughs> taking, taking uh, government instructions. Yeah, yeah. How, how does the missus take to it? Um, she's uh, she loves it about as much as she loves my motorbike, which okay. is to say she hates it. All right, okay, fair enough. So that's the reason you're in here in the Osborne Studios in Bradbury. Good to have you here, and uh, Howard, great to have you on board as well. As I said, the call is on every trading day between 12 and 1 p.m. You send in the stocks that you're most interested in, either through Twitter, or our Facebook page, email, through the app, or through our website. And then we put them to our team of experts uh, to go through them. So let's get straight down to business. First one, Regis Healthcare, um, aged care group, of course. Uh, earnings downgrade over Christmas, been hammered like the rest of the market. James, what do you think of, uh, what do you think of Regis? David, it's a sector that should be doing really well. Um, aging population, not enough places. It should be absolutely on fire. Uh, Regis is a pretty broad company. They've got 7,000 beds, in excess of 7,000 beds, ranging from, uh, sorry, places, ranging from uh, aged care through to dementia and, uh, and palliative care. Uh, they've got in excess of 60 different, um, different facilities, if that's the word. Should be doing well, but uh, it's been difficult. They've, uh, the sector's struggled a bit with changes in government funding. Um, they've, uh, it's all about utilisation rates, of course. And when you've got pretty high fixed costs and their utilisation rate, rates, despite the high demand, have probably been less than the company would like. Uh, that was part of the reason for the downgrade. And the problem with a business like Regis, when you're carrying a lot of debt, you really mm. need to be, um, to be having as full as occupancy as you can, in excess of 95%. Um, and I think that's why the business has, um, has not been a stellar performer. It's sort, of, it's sort of quite a fragile business to be in, isn't it? Because it is all about bed yield. It's a... that's, that's the game, 100%. <laughs> that's the issue. And when governments start lifting the the costs on you are putting more regulation. That hurts. It absolutely does. And we've seen that throughout the sector. Japara has had similar uh, issues. Um, look, it's not one for me, I have okay. to say. Howard, what do you think? Yes, I think James summed it up pretty well. And uh, David, your comments too. It's a business with high fixed costs regulated, uh, now requires more staff, more expenses to service the same number of beds. And I think as a society here in Australia, a decision we have to take is do we want healthcare to be cheap, in which case it's going to, uh, HD I mean to be cheap, in which case it's likely to not always be good quality, or do we want to let the market decide what individual places charge, uh, put fewer regulations and restrictions on them, and allow it in the end to be more expensive? Now, I'm not necessarily recommending that, but I'm just saying that's a decision society has to take. And until it takes that decision and remains stuck in this thing that we want aged care to be cheap but high quality, uh, I can't see how companies like Regis or any others in the sector are going to be attractive investments. So uh, 
uh, much like James, uh, even with the share price having come down so much, uh, it wouldn't be one that I would be interested in investing in. The earnings have been going down three years in a row. Uh, earnings per share reduced, and that's not what we want to see in any business. Yeah, and and how it is funny, it's one of those sectors that unless this is a great example of doing your homework, isn't it, into stocks and sectors, because anyone coming to the market will go, oh, aged care, aging population, can't get grandma or mum and dad into a facility quickly. This has got to be a gold mine. But when the government gets involved it, and brings in regulation and starts to make business decisions for you, it can just send you broke. Absolutely. And uh, that's, that's really the problem for the whole sector. Yep. Um, and I can't see that changing in a hurry because we have a societal view that we want aged care to be relatively cheap. And the problem with that is it's it's going to mean that the providers are not going to be good investors. Yeah. yeah. Now, the other part of it, of course, I'm not for a minute pointing the finger at Regis in particular, but the issues in the sector that's led to the Royal Commission is only going to push that um, that continued uh, pressure from governments for staffing levels and um, a range of, of compliance, which should be there, but it's going to increase the costs across the whole sector. It's not going away, as Absolutely. you say. No, and, and, and that adds to the problem because it means that new entrants or companies already in the field are not going to create the vast number of extra beds that we're going to need for aged care as the baby boomer generation yep. uh, ages because yep. there just isn't enough potential profit in it to encourage the heavy investment that's required up front. Yeah, and then you, you layer the emotional issue over it as well. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of families sort of want mum and dad to have the best care, not cost too much, uh, and criticise if they're not getting the top service. Well, when you see some of the things that have come in that Royal Commission, it, yeah. and you, you think about your own parents, in that situation. It is horrific. Yep. All right, let's move on to uh, big banks. Take a bit of a battering this this morning on the market, let me tell you. But um, um, our next uh, stop from our viewers is Westpac. Um, Howard, how how does Westpac rate for you? Well, um, we in Team Invest have never been hugely keen on the banks. And the reason is that uh, it's got to be almost 20 years now that the banks have only barely increased their earnings per share. In fact, if you exclude Commonwealth Bank, the others have hardly kept up with inflation. And, um, you know, we've got four big banks. The market's not going to get much bigger. It's only getting bigger by the size of our population. And, of course, this morning they got hit by the fact that uh, New Zealand has come up with a policy where uh, no dividends can be paid uh, in the interim uh, while this crisis is going on from the New Zealand banks. So most people who own bank shares tend to be people who are in it for the dividends. But one of the sad things about it is if you bought into most of the banks, uh, Westpac uh, would be a perfect example, 15 years ago for the dividend, the dividend yield at the time sounded wonderful, but you had no growth or virtually no growth. If you bought a different company that was growing its earnings at, say, 10% a year, even though the yield was perhaps half what Westpac's was in percentage terms at the time, today you would be getting a higher yield uh, in terms of dollars in your bank account, not percentage, but dollars, from that other company, plus you would have had a lot of capital gains, and none of the banks have delivered capital gains over the last 15-odd years. Mm, okay. What do you think? David, our views on the sector are um, obfuscated a little bit by, by the fact that we haven't had a recession in nearly 30 years. Yep. We may be on the cusp of one now, but the banks are deeply cyclical companies. Um, people forget that because, uh, because it's been so long since we've had a, a credit cycle that's been um, under, under pressure and a bad debt cycle that's been under pressure. The banks are fabulous businesses to buy when they're on their knees. Um, their share prices are down a lot now. Yep. Um, I would suggest that they're not on their knees as yet. Uh, but as Howard rightly points out, there's been very little earnings growth. In fact, Westpac's gone negative over the last five or six years, only modestly negative. Um, 
Some of them have even cut their dividends slightly. Combank's the only one that's had modest increases in their dividends. Um, they're fabulous companies to buy at the right time. And as Howard points out, in the last 10 years, it hasn't been the right time. Um, and Are we is, getting close? Well, we, we could well be, but, but this is um, where you, you have a... Um, we've had for a number of years a, a, a growing economy, sluggish growth, but, but certainly growth. And in that time, credit growth for the banks has been negligible. Profit growth, I would argue, has been somewhat flattered by a very, very... Um, uh, modest impairment cost, and that could well come home to roost. Right. The government's doing a lot to make sure it doesn't, to make sure that that, um, that credit risk um, is abated in uh, with all the businesses being forced to shut at the moment. But um, look, I, uh, I, I'm very happily significantly underweight banks, and, um, and there will be a time to buy them with a view to, yeah. with a view to trade. But, but really, if you think back to the last recession and Howard and, and you and myself yep. are old enough to remember it, um, these banks were absolutely on their knees. Of course, we saw it globally during the GFC. We, we, we managed to avoid that in Australia. It will happen. When it does, it's particularly ugly. They're leveraged on the upside, which is fabulous. The cost is they're leveraged on the downside. Sure. And uh, when it gets dreadful, the banks will be, they look cheap now, um, they're, Are they going to get cheaper? If if we have a protracted recession, they will get substantially okay. cheaper. Peter, uh, Peter King's appointment this morning? Or so I think what? it's a good appointment. Right. It's some stability. Poor old Peter King, he's been there a long time, 25 years or yep. something. He was the CFO, uh, looking forward to retirement. But I think the appointment is a safe pair of hands in, in a time where um, it's pretty difficult outlook for the economy and therefore the sector. Um, I think it's a good appointment. Okay, Howard, what do you think of Peter King? Yes, I agree. I think it's a good appointment uh, in this particular circumstance. I don't believe he will want to stay in the role for that uh, long. But if he can see the bank through the next few years and the economy by then uh, hopefully in better shape, um, that'll be good for Westpac. And okay. I absolutely agree, James. Um, there are times when you can buy banks um, for a short time. Um, and uh, as James puts it so accurately, you want to do it when they're virtually on their knees. Yeah, okay. All right. They're just, because they won't go broke. The no. you know, government will not won't, let won't the banks go broke. broke. No. All right. So they're just sort of on their haunches rather than their knees at the moment. Uh, let's go our, our third stock, very different indeed, a telco, small telco, um, very much linked to uh, the MBN rollout over the last couple of years, Vocus. Uh, um, what do you reckon on that one, James? Well, it's a specialist fibre and network solution provider. It's quite a complex business, made more complex by having a lot of acquisitions in a short period of time. Of course, that created massive disruption to, uh, oh, to, to community of business, to management, to all sorts of things. It's, it's a sector that um, should be doing reasonably well at the moment because we're in... Um, because we're all we're, contributing. We're, we're all contributing. <laughs> we're all working at home and, you know, streaming Netflix and streaming Zoom, streaming right. Ausbiz, yep. um, uh, and you know using uh, using telephony a lot more than um, than would normally be the case. So their retail business going okay. Um, New Zealand's sort of been okay. Um, Dodo, which is one of their brands, has had some success with bundling with um, with energy. Yep. I just think for. Um, if you've got to be in that sector, if you're really, really low risk, and we're going to talk about Telstra later, yeah. uh, Telstra may be a better option. I don't like the company, but if, but yeah, there, it is for some people. Um, if you want more growth, I would much prefer uh, TPG. Okay. Howard? Yes, uh, me too. I mean, if you look at the return on equity for the last four years for Vocus, uh, it, it's been... 3.3%, 4%, 2.8%, 1.4%. Now, if a company can't generate uh, more than a couple of cents in profits on every dollar of equity that it's got in the business, we as shareholders are not going to generate a particularly good return. And uh, it also makes you wonder, with all these acquisitions, and they have had a number of write-downs of some of the equity over time, some of the goodwill, uh, if they're generating that low return on equity, uh, it suggests that further write-downs in the future are not out of the picture. And uh, it's still got a fair amount of debt 
And again, it's as James said earlier on, it's a very complex business. Not a business I'd like to be running too many moving parts. Mm. And as an investor, you really want to be trying to invest in businesses you can easily understand and that you're confident earnings will grow. Now, here I would say, um, with us all working from home and so on, there's likelihood that the earnings could grow. But it's such a complex business that, uh, you know, uh, anybody I'm talking to, I'd say you want to steer clear of it. Yeah. And, and also, I can't help but think, with so many write-downs of acquisitions, you sort of say to yourself, is there crap at buying other companies? <laughs> the pudding's in the, in the eating, isn't it? And, yeah. and um, they've had a series of write-downs. Uh, they just grew too fast. You said every cycle, yeah. um, a company or even entire industries go down a, pat, a tangent of, of um, acquisition for growth without really understanding how it's all going to fit in. Yeah. And... Um, one day the chickens come home to roost. Yeah, right? yep. the acquirers of the, of, the, of, the, of the targets about how about the only ones that win in that situation, aren't they? Lawyers do, Will. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's been a lot of research done around the world on the success of acquisitions, and about two-thirds of all acquisitions made internationally fail uh, oh. or fail to deliver what they were supposed to deliver and destroy shareholder wealth. And about one third increase shareholder wealth. Yet strangely, every time a company announces it's about to make an acquisition, instead of the market saying, "Oh wow, well they're probably going to be worse off than they were before, two to one chance," let's mark the share price down. Almost always, the share price goes up, which is totally backwards from what it ought to be. Yeah. Very strange. All right, so uh, gee, you guys are are a happy bunch today. First three stocks. Wouldn't touch with a with a barge pole. So. David, I, uh, I I I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but there's going to be a few more. Going to be a few, okay. All right. We might have some time to talk about companies we like. Yeah, know. yeah, but that's that's the motivation for the call. Our panel tells it like it is. So you send in the stocks, and we go through ten stocks in sixty minutes between midday and one pm every trading day, and uh, you get it straight from the experts. No holds barred, no sugar coating, and that's what we love as investors. Um, fourth stock to get through today, uh, Howard, Suncorp, another financial. Yes, uh, again, not one that I would get hugely enthused about, although um, I'd, I'd certainly be a little bit more enthused about it than focus. But again, its return on equity over 10 years has never exceeded 10%. Now, if over a very long period a company can't achieve 10% return on equity, then we can't get, as investors, a 10% return in the long term on that company. Now, it doesn't mean you can't occasionally make a trading profit in that you're buying it at the time that it's being beaten down and sell it again later. But as an investment, as opposed to a trade, and I always look at things from a long-term investment perspective, the absolute minimum you need from any company is a 10% return on equity done consistently. And Suncorp's been running at around about 7 or 8% for the last several years, and before that was even lower. So it's hard to get enthusiastic. Now, having said that, um, its share price has come down a fair bit. Um, it got down to a low of uh, about but under $7.50 uh, only a few weeks ago. And... Um, at those sort of prices, you can perhaps uh, buy it and get a bit of an uplift in a trade, but it's not something I would consider for my portfolio. Very simple reason that with a return on equity of less than 10%, I can't get the kind of returns that I'm looking for, which is at least 15% per annum over a long period of time. So, uh, again, one I don't really want to criticise too much, but one of the other problems they've got is their banking side of their business is smaller than the big four, hence their cost of capital is higher. And the insurance company is smaller than some of the other big insurance companies. So again, they don't have the economies of scale there either. So um, while, while it combines banking and insurance, it's not a dominant player in either, although it's closer in insurance than it is in banking. Sort of in that no man's land, James, isn't it? It is. And I think Howard makes a really good point about their return on equity being 
not massively from his 10% hurdle, but it's a really good um, rule of thumb to uh, to use as a filter for selecting companies. Um, Suncorp's have um, it's Queensland centric, it's national business, but it's largely in Queensland, and of course that makes it a cyclical um, company in a cyclical economy. Yep. Um, and that's creating some difficulties. They've had a, a, a downgrade recently, largely around mark to market in the underwriting in the insurance business, general insurance business. It's underperformed IAG by about 20% recently. On that basis, we've recently upgraded it to a buy, but that's really more of a trading view uh, for uh, clients that want to build a portfolio over the long term and have got high confidence that earnings are going to be repeated year in, year out. Um, it's not one that I'd look at for a trading uh, stock on va- on a valuation call. You know, it, it, it's... Um, Okay. There's some value there. All right, mixed use there. It's it's a it's a soft buy, isn't it? Saying it's it's, sure. it's cheap. It's 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 you know buying because it's wonderful. You're buying because it's, yep. it's cheap. Okay, you're watching the call here on Ausbiz uh, with James Rosenberg from El Bayou and Howard Coleman, director of Team Invest Private, and it's great to have them aboard and you aboard as we go through our top ten stocks for today between midday and one p.m. every trading day. Um, Zero, James, uh, New Zealand-based company or started there, listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, um, counting software, really grown by, by Topsy, uh, bit of a darling of the market, Steve Vamos, Managing Director, ex-Apple, and Microsoft, what do you think of it? I just love a company that's been named after the uh, the profits it's produced in their however long as a listed company. <laughs> that's a bit harsh. <laughs> um, the company's done incredibly well. I, I get the growth in subscriber base. I get the um, the, the growth in in, uh, yeah. in the ability to cross sell. I just don't get how you can have a business that has never ever turned a profit as at a stratospheric valuation, is it $9.5 billion in valuation? All right. By way of disclosure, if you'd asked me about Amazon 20 years ago, I probably would have said the same thing. Right. I've changed my tune on Amazon a while ago. Missed that really easy money, but the easy money in zero has been missed. Um, it, It may... One day be a fabulous business, but at the moment um, I just I don't understand it. I'm afraid. Well, okay, Howard, what do you think of Zero? Yeah, um, it, it it reminds me a little bit of uh, this the, and James's comment on Amazon. It's a little bit like if you walk down past the Star Casino and you stand outside for a while and you ask everybody who comes outside, you're bound to occasionally meet somebody who made money by betting on the roulette wheel. Um, of course, you know statistically that people are generally going to lose their money on the roulette wheel. That's how the casinos operate. Um, and ditto with stocks like this. Um, I was around in the 1990s when Amazon was relatively new, and there were literally thousands of dot-com companies that people were buying like crazy and pushing up their valuations, and the companies were being valued by the markets in the billions of dollars. And we all remember Amazon because it survived. We don't remember the other several thousand of them that didn't. So as a a sector as a whole, companies that are not profitable are horrendous capital killers. But the occasional one turns out to make some of its shareholders money as casinos give some of the punters who come into the casinos uh, an opportunity and a few of them walk away with more money than they started with. The vast majority go there knowing they're going to lose money. And the one sad thing with stock markets is people think they're going to make money out of unprofitable companies. And very, very rarely do they. Okay. You know, markets have a habit of transferring money or transferring wealth from, as Warren Buffett puts it, from the know-nothings to the know-somethings. Yeah. And one of the things that... Um, Buffett always says about no somethings as opposed to no nothings is they avoid companies that don't make a profit. And as James says, this company hasn't, although in the last half year it actually turned a profit. But uh, its business model to me seems 
essentially flawed. Um, I may be wrong. It may be that there's something in that business model I don't understand that's perfectly possible. But every time I've looked at this, I've said it reminds me of those thousands and thousands of companies in the late 1990s with a wonderful story and their sales or eyeballs or whatever it was at the time kept going up, but they didn't have a business model that was profitable. And no. virtually every one of them collapsed. How, uh, one of the problems was... Who's been buying it, mate? To get it up to these levels? I, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I don't know what their share register is. I don't know if it's a lot of foreign buying or if it's in those retail punters. I don't know. I would just go back to Howard's comment about um, profitability. One of the problems for a business like this that's been so long and been hugely successful mm. in growing their uh, their brand and their revenue and um, and um, their subscriber base is you know fabulous. Congratulations yeah. to them. The problem is when they start to make a, 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 a profit, you then look at it and you're saying, well, it's trading on 500 times earnings. I mean, is that... Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, I'm not saying specifically yeah. about this company. I've never met their management. I don't know. But, but I it, would argue that, that they possibly don't want to make a profit. It might be detrimental to their share price. Oh, okay. So, Howard, what about MYOB as its biggest competitor? Is that a similar flawed model? No, MYOB has in fact been profitable. But the the other interesting thing uh, is people say to me, well, companies like this, and again, not specifically Zero, it's not a company I've spent that much time on, um, but as long as their sales are growing, they're doing fine. An example I always give in return is I say, if I stood in the city, say on the, the outside the, uh, the city hall or on the corner of Bridge Street and George Street or whatever, and I offered Ferraris, brand new Ferraris, straight from the factory, complete, for $10,000 a time. The longer I stood there offering them for $10,000 a time, the more people would line up to buy them from me. And eventually I'd be selling vast numbers of Ferraris compared to what I was selling sometime earlier because more people would have heard about it and would come. But it wouldn't make it a successful business yep. because I'd be paying more for the Ferraris than I was selling them for. So you can always increase your sales continuously if you sell something for less than it costs. The trouble is you can't make a profit for your shareholders that way. Okay. Yep, good analogy. All right, let's move on. Um, how do you pronounce this? Clinuvel? Clinu I've Clinu always pronounced it Clinuvel. But Clinuvel, but, but Clinuvel I, Pharmaceuticals. May, may not be right. Uh, pharmaceutical company, uh, severe skin disorders, great share price rise over five years. Came a gutter over the summer. Um, Fab well, fabulous profitability too. Yeah. It's a niche business, as you say. It makes um, uh, a treatment for very rare but very serious skin yeah. diseases, yeah. most of which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. <laughs> I've got the company that'll do. Yeah. Um, but um, was stratospherically expensive. Um, absolutely went to the moon when they got the F FDA approval in. Uh, in uh, September, I think it was, and then yeah. come down a bit. Look at that but spike to 45 bucks. Yeah. Absolutely extraordinary. And came down a bit and sort of stabilised. Of course, recently it's been sold down with the, with the rest of the market. Still pretty expensive. It's still on 66 times trailing earnings. But with the earnings growth they've had um, and the addressable market that they've got, um, I'm not making out a case to buy it at 66 times earnings, but I do like the company. I like what they're doing. Howard was talking earlier about return on equity, and I've got that in excess of 30%. Um, no debt. Um, I, look, I think it's a wonderful little niche business. I, I don't, notwithstanding the recent fall, um, I don't. It's still a bit expensive for me. Yeah. But um, but yeah, we've kind of found one I quite like. Oh, okay. He's got a smile on his face. Been grumpy so far. This uh, good to see, Jack. What about you, Howard? What do you think of that? Well, uh, it's, it's going to get the tick from me too. Um, again, uh, like James, uh, I wouldn't be buying at the, at the PE ratio uh, north of 60. Um, that's a ridiculously expensive PE ratio for any company. It's a very niche business. It's, it, it says that it's a dressable market uh, for its main uh, product at the moment and main treatment. It's only about 10,000 people worldwide, but it makes quite a lot of money being an orphan drug um, from those 
from that very small market. Now, it's not getting to all of that market yet. Um, it hasn't had approval in every country yet. But it's certainly got growth ahead of it. But this, uh, unless it comes up with other drugs or other treatments that this uh, preparation can be used for, it's really going to be a very large company. Um, so I would think at some stage down the track, it will either have to go into searching other uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, in which case there's going to be a lot of money spent in R&D, which would cut the profits, or it will possibly be sold to one of the big players, somebody like a CSL or, or others around the world. But certainly, as James pointed out, high return on equity for the last several years, over 30%, growing earnings, growing very quickly, in fact, and zero debt. And if you want to just have a very, very simple uh, trio of things to look at as an investor, and you don't want to look in any, any great debt, if you look for companies with high return on equity, virtually no debt and growing earnings, your portfolio is bound to do pretty well in the long term. My only caveat with this one is the twofold ones. Uh, one of the uh, fact that it's very expensive at the moment on a very high PE. But the other thing is that it's a relatively small addressable market. So the growth will come to a halt eventually unless they can create and develop other uh, products. But it uh, looks great. Howard, one, um, one of the issues around that PE, I'm not making a case for it at these levels, but on the profit growth they've had over the last few years and the, address, the addressable market that there is, I can understand why people would make a case for it, although I'm not. The problem is that it's so incredibly, so hugely profitable on each. It's a little implant that goes under the skin and, in, and, and dissolves, and it's hugely profitable on, um, on every sale they make. Uh, completely opposite to the Ferrari example you gave earlier, or Tesla, as I was thinking. Um, but um, when they're so profitable, it also opens up the door for others, although it's relatively small in, in, yeah. in, in, uh, in medical um, markets anyway. It, it's still big enough and profitable enough for someone mm -hmm. else to come in, and that's your risk at, at 60 okay. odd times earnings. Right, Clinavel, they're a, a mediocre. Tick a half tick, maybe on a pullback. It's when definitely a, one to watch. If, 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 no, watch. if continue to to, uh, to to fall, you know, yeah. quite aggressively, um, you know, absolutely. If you want. Okay. All right. Um, speaking of uh, ones to watch, uh, everyone's been watching Webjet over the last couple of days. Big capital raise, cheap price. Um, they 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 went above their target in terms of the raise, apparently. Um, they needed to. Um, what do you think, James? Webjet? I've never understood Webjet. I, I get that they've had a lot of profit growth. Let's put aside the industry problems at the moment. We know okay. that it's horrific. It'll turn. Um, I've never understood the business. I've used it myself. I know a number of people have used it for price discovery. You get online, you want to fly from A to B, you see what all the different options are, and you go and book it with someone else. Clearly, You've never booked it through I've them? never ever booked it oh. through Webjet, and no. I know a number of people the same thing. They've used it for price discovery. Clearly, people are. Yeah, but I don't understand why they need to be raising so much money with a share price that's collapsed. If you're a flight centre and you've got a, a, a shop, a, a store in every shopping centre in Australia, yes, your business is shut, is furloughed effectively at the no. moment, but you've still got rent commitments. This is an online company. If they need capital to retire debt, as they say, why didn't they do it at $17 or 15 or 13 right. or 11 or 9 Why wait till $3.70 and then have it so deeply, deeply discounted? It suggests to me that something's not quite right. Mm, okay. Howard? Uh, yeah, I have one point I do agree with, James, but then I'll say a couple of other things about the company. The uh, It's, of course, a very foolish time to do a capital raising when your share price is low. You would like to believe that the custodians of your capital who run the business, the board and uh, directors and the chief executive, would be smarter than that. So uh, uh, it's it's never a good sign for shareholders when the people we've appointed as stewards of our capital in a business um, raise capital when the share price is low and don't raise capital when it's high. But um, the business is not really the online travel agent. That's a 
become a very small part of the business. It was the original business, but it's a very small part of the business. And I totally agree with James. I've used it for price discovery too, without ever having booked a ticket also. Um, however, the other part of the business, where bets, um, the um, sort of blockchain uh, arrangement that they have where they uh, enable hotels to book out their beds and get paid properly by the travel agents and making the whole transaction uh, much more transparent and easy to record and to be uh, easy to check on afterwards. That's where the real growth has been coming in the last few years. And that business on its own um, is probably going to be a very valuable business if they survive. Now, I did put in the caveat, if they survive, and before the coronavirus, I wouldn't have put in that caveat. I would have just said, it's a valuable business, and I would prefer if they didn't have any debt. Um, however, now with the coronavirus, those beds aren't being booked either. And if they are being booked, it's probably a government just taking them the same as they're doing uh, here in Australia. So the, the revenue has virtually dried up. If they survive to the end of the coronavirus, and that's presumably the reason for their capital raising, um, to make sure that they do, then I think in the long term, this company's got a lot of very good prospects mm -hmm. through its uh, Webbeds business. The online travel agency of Webjet, now nah, probably not going to go much bigger than it's been up till now. Um, but the, the, the question is, how long will this go on? I'm reasonably optimistic that it won't go on that long and therefore that Webjet will be a survivor. And as a survivor, it shouldn't take more than 12 months once the panic is over for it to be back looking like a very good business again. But uh, shareholders are going to go through pain and are being asked to have their shares diluted by uh, virtually one for one. Okay, so so where at what price does Webjet become an attractive proposition for you, Howard? Well, certainly at the capital raising price of a dollar seventy, it sounds yeah. like a great deal. Uh, at anything under probably about two dollars twenty or thirty, uh, I've been playing with some numbers, and at anything under about two twenty or two thirty, it looks like a very attractive proposition because if I look at it over five years, that would give me a return of. 15 to 20% a year over the next five years, providing it makes it through the coronavirus. Right. So if the coronavirus problem goes on a year and a half, um, then my investment is not going to be worth anything. But if my, on the other hand, if it carries on as I expect, no longer than probably about six months before it's at least partially over in parts of the world and Webjet starts earning revenue again, then over a five-year horizon, it's uh, at anything under, as I say, about two twenty, two thirty. It looks like a very good buy. Okay, all right. You're listening and watching the call on Ausbiz, uh, Australia's only business and markets channel. Uh, the call is on every day between midday and one p.m. I'm David Kosh, and joining me today, James Rosenberg from EL Bayview and Howard, director of Team Invest Private. We go through. 10 of your stocks that you've sent in and you want more information and direction on, and uh, I've put it to the panel. Next stock, uh, Kathmandu. What do you reckon, James? Kathmandu's um, built a really good niche business in outdoor clothing and camping. Um, they've done really well in a really tough Amazon environment. They've done it by designing their own product. Uh, they have regular sales, every six, 12 sales, I'm not sure if it's monthly or bi-monthly. Um, they've got special prices for uh, people who are members, so they've got the database they can market to. Um, it's, it's, it's a really good little niche business. With their own products, you can't have price discovery on Amazon. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, look, I, I quite like it. Clearly, it's a difficult time in the retail sector. Um, they've had to go to market. Um, again, they've got 167 stores. And basically you know, closed them all at the moment. They've haven't closed it? them all at the moment, and they've still got and they've still got commitments. Yeah. But um, is this a they're going through a raise at the moment? Is this the one where their biggest shareholder is not going to participate in the raise? I believe I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that, that. Uh, something to be worried about? Um, it's something to do some more research on. Research yeah, on. Yeah. I don't. I, I'm not sure the reasons why. Yeah. Um, such a good business, but, um, with such a good brand. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And a 
again, talking about Westpac earlier when those things are on their knees, um, yeah. you know, th- this is a, a, a good business having an incredibly difficult time that's completely not of their doing. Yeah. You could argue they bought Riptoil at the right, wrong time, but you know, I didn't predict uh, uh, yeah. coronavirus. I don't know no. anyone else in the no world, world that did. Either. So um, yeah. I don't think you can hang them for that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, with the uh, with with the discounted raising, it's going to be I would think an attractive price okay. if you're confident, as Howard says, that this business will, will that the coronavirus will be sorted okay. out in some time and we'll get on with our lives. What do you reckon, Howard? Yes, um, uh, I, I think there's another interesting thing to look at. The uh, uh, capital raising is incredibly discounted. It's that 50 cents, um, which is really, really cheap. I mean, considering the share price of this company was uh, in the sort of 2 and $3 not that long ago. Um, uh, but looking further ahead, one of the interesting comparisons is after the uh, misnamed Spanish flu, because it actually started in the US, they should have been called the American flu, He's oh, sounding like Donald Trump now. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I'll get in trouble from Trump. Uh, but it started at a farm in Dallas, in actual fact. But um, that killed about 50 million people worldwide. And the very interesting thing is that was in 1918 and 19, just as the First World War ended and a bit after. What it did in the following decade is not only it created a, the roaring 20s, the greatest bull market period and economic growth period that we had in 100 years. But the other thing that happened after the First World War is people wanted to get out of the cities. So if we just take England as an example, where there's a lot of research done on this, the three places that were the most hit by the Spanish flu were Liverpool, Manchester, in fact, Manchester was worst, Manchester, Liverpool and London, where people in very close proximity, packed into almost slum areas. The moment that virus happened and was over, um, fathers and mothers wanted to take their children on the weekends away from this dirty area where they were possibly going to catch the next thing that came around after the Spanish flu and go out into the countryside. So there was a huge move to buy cars, pack a lunch pack away picnic lunch, put it in the back of the car, load the kids into the back of the car and go out into the countryside. Now, Catman do doesn't sell cars, but they sell the kind of uh, clothing and accessories that one would use often far away where all the crowd, from where all the crowds are. Yep. So getting away from the crowds becomes something that stays in our minds and scars this generation the way the Spanish flu scarred the generation that survived it at that time, it could well be that a company like Kathmandu becomes a big beneficiary. Okay. Although my guess is it will be largely through their online business and not through their stores. Okay. Um, Howard, I've, I've got to tip my hat to you. That was a great history, history lesson on the Spanish flu and how retailers can benefit. I hope all the retail chief executives are actually watching the call today because that puts it all in perspective. Well done. Um, okay, so I think a pretty reasonable tip for Kathmandu if you can get it at the right price there. And have um, patience. Yeah, have patience for it going forward. And um, if you buy shares in it when the pandemic's over, take your kids out into the country and start doing the bit, uh, bit yourself of recommending it to your uh, friends or relatives. Um, all right, Wham Capital Limited. Howard, what do you think of Wham at the moment? Notice Jeff Wilson coming out quite strongly yesterday and threatening the government, saying you're spending a lot of money on these stimulus packages, and if you think you're going to get it back through doing away with banking credits, you've got another thing coming. I'll be watching. So, very clear yes, message uh, from Jeff. What about Wham Capital? I, I, uh, Jeff is, is, is certainly someone uh, who, who I have a lot of time for. Um, but all the companies like Wham Capital, all the fund managers, this, this is not a good time for them because fund managers earn money out of two basic uh, things usually. Funds under management and whenever the market's down, the amount of uh, money that you earn for funds under management goes down proportionally because the funds reduce, say, 20 30% in a bear market, so your income goes down by 20 or 30%. Your, expenditure probably doesn't change. 
Secondly, any performance fees that are built into your business model disappear when there's unlikely to be good performance, uh, unless it's comparative to market performance. So fund managers tend to be an exaggerated view of the market. If you invest in a fund manager, you do better than the, or, or it does usually better than the market in a boom and significantly worse than the market when there's a bit of a bear market or a bust. So not a company that uh, uh, I've ever been enthused about or any of our team invest members. It has rarely had 10% return on equity, which is unusual for a fund manager. They usually have very high return on equity. Uh, like all fund managers, got no debt. and uh, But its earnings have really gone nowhere. I mean, in 2010, it earned 22.5 cents a share, and that's about the same as it's earned over the last 12 months. It's been up and down like a yo-yo over the years. Mm. So um, not the kind of company I, I would be enthusiastic about. James? I agree with the premise of what Howard's saying, but not with this business. Um, this is not a fund manager. It's a listed investment company. Um, Um, James, we might. Uh, I think you've lost your microphone there, um, so we'll uh, uh, fix that up for you at the moment. But of course, um, Wham Capital, part of a um, suite of of listed funds um, under that um, under that brand name. Of course, Jeff Wilson, he's the W in, in Wham. Um, so Harry, just we've got. Thanks for walking in front of the camera, Harry. That's terrific. Well done. Uh, so you're a bit more positive on it. Well, not necessarily more positive on it, but it, it's a different premise. Apologies for picking that out. It was my fault. Right. It's a different premise. You're buying the underlying companies and their major holdings, Brickworks, Seven Group, Pangara, Kogan, Templeton, Global, Austral. You're buying a share right. of those types of businesses rather than the fund manager itself. Um, Wham Capital has uh, been very popular because it's had a huge dividend yield. Um, clearly, that's going to be under threat with a lot of companies having lower earnings and possibly no earnings and no dividends. Yeah. Uh, but it's also been trading at a big premium to uh, NTA. Most of the sector is sort of a couple of cents either way, yeah. a couple of percent either way. Uh, they've been trading at a big premium. They're now broadly at NTA. Um, it's uh, it, 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 if if you don't want to buy individual stocks, right. buying a listed investment company, a closed fund rather than an open fund is a much better way to do it. If you want a broad exposure, don't want to pick your stocks yourself. Okay, all right, big tip there for Wham Capital from uh, from James. Uh, our final stock, um, Howard. We'll kick this off with you. Uh, do you like Telstra? Um. Telstra is currently in an industry that is benefiting from the coronavirus. Uh, we're an example of it right now. And uh, I've been on several webinars over the last week. Uh, that's good for companies like telcos. Um, however, again, it's not a company that I get particularly enthusiastic about. And the main reason is it's got a lot of debt. Um, it's a big pile of money that it's receiving from the government for giving up the copper wires eventually comes to an end, and it's uh, a long way through that period now. The NBN is going to be pretty much everywhere around the country. Obviously, I think 5G will take away a lot of business over time with, from the NBN. The NBN is going to be one of these beautiful cases that uh, uh, a white elephant where government spent billions of dollars of taxpayers' money to build something that by the time it was built, uh, the, the, the world had moved on. So I think um, we're, we're going to, for many years afterwards, regret that it, it cost as much as it did. So Telstra could be a beneficiary out of that, but it's not a nimble company. And not being a nimble company means it's unlikely to take advantage for shareholders as well as some smaller, more nimble companies than Telstra. And in fact, um, you know, if I have to compare nimbleness, um, David Teo at... Um, TPG Telecom, uh, I, I would rather back from the point of view okay. of spotting an opportunity and making money for your shareholders before I did with Telstra. So Telstra over the years has really never been a wealth winner. It's been a slow burn capital killer um, for its shareholders. I think it's got some opportunities now to grow significantly. 
But whether it will take the opportunities, I'm distinctly sceptical. Um, so, you know, people have always said you can buy it for its yield. But again, yeah. as the example I gave earlier on, in fact, I, I, I once did a calculation that when I first started running my own investments, if I had bought both Telstra and um, CSL, I actually would have received more dollars in dividends from CSL, even though its yield at the time was about 1.2% yeah. okay. and Telstra's was nearly 10 James, you, you mentioned TPG when we were talking about Bocas. Um, are you in the same boat as Howard? I, I am in the TPG same boat, is better. But, but, but every dog has its day. This is a company that's been a dreadful business. It had, um, it's had a big competitive advantage from coming from a monopoly position, which of course has been eroded, but it's had um, virtually no revenue growth. It's had so many profit downgrades. It's cut its dividend so many times. It's probably got to about its level at the, at the moment. As Howard rightly points out, we're all using it at the moment. Yep. Um, if you want something really, really dull, but not going to uh, not going to fall over tomorrow, um, then I think Telstra is probably a pretty safe place to uh, to, to, to ride out. <laughs> that's a, that's a backhanded it compliment. Is, look, it's not Howard say, compliment. say it's, it's a capital killer. James, you'll say it's just plain dull. It, it is incredibly <laughs> dull, but it's sa it's a safe harbour at the moment. But if you uh, were to buy it at the moment, don't think for a moment that you're going to be holding it for the rest of your life right. because I'm telling you they're going to disappoint. But TPG a better option. I'd prefer TPG. Okay. It's more volatile. It's a much better company. Yeah. All right, uh, James and Howard, if we can just run through it. Re Regis, neither of you like Westpac, neither of you like Vocus, no one likes. No one likes Suncorp or Zero. Uh, Clinubel. 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 Nice little niche business to go through. Um, both of you mixed on, on Webjet going forward. Uh, Judge, you don't like it. Howard, you reckon it's pretty good. I grant you Howard understands business a lot more than yep. I do. Yep. Katmandu, uh, if we come out the other side, um, just like the Spanish flu, and we go hiking like Sound of Music, uh, it's, it's got a future. Wham, mixed. James, you like it. Howard, not so much. And uh, Telstra TPG. Okay. Gentlemen, it's been a great hour. Really appreciate your time and your thoughts on this. Being very informative and a lot of fun. Really appreciate that. David, pleasure. I've, I've had fun too. Good to chat to you. Howard's always, uh, yeah, always great a good story. All right. James Rosenberg from EL Value. Howard Coleman, Director of Team Invest Private. Really appreciate your time. So, uh, that's it for the call for today. We'll be back same time between midday and 1 p.m. tomorrow. If you want to send in um, any uh, stocks that you want us to cover during the call, um, send them through Twitter at TV and uh, the call at au. if you want to email them through. And we look forward to looking at another team tomorrow.